All right, hello, and welcome to the rules of acquisition. Wait, wait a minute. Is this <laughs> the rules of acquisition? Usually, this is the rules of acquisition where we talk about Deep Space Nine, which is a Star Trek show, but this isn't exactly the rules of. This is something different. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And I am Wade Bowen. And what the. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question about the podcast and not about the show we're talking about. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is, we're not talking about Deep Space Nine. We're talking, um, usually we talk about Deep Space Nine and the concept of it as a prequel to the golden age of television. Now we're talking about something else. We're, we're jumping way ahead to the golden age of television, I guess. From the end. From the end of the Golden Age. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, peak television, some people call it. And we're at as high as it can get on, on the way down. Get weirder than this. Peak TV, whatever you call it. We're going to talk about a show that unlike DS9, maybe we don't like as much. Spoilers about this episode. Um, this is the ROA on the OA. And I'd have some like really dramatic music kicked in if I was doing something extra special here, but I don't think I am. We could wait to 57 minutes into the podcast and then have the music kick in. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah right. Intro. <laughs> All right. It's the OA. OA. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you may know we, we love Deep Space Nine. We're not, we're not so fond of the OA. <laughs> Did you guys watch all of have you guys seen every episode of the Gilmore Girls? Just answer me that real quick. Real quick. I have real not. Quick. Yes, I I get yeah, I get dodgy on the last. I'm in season yes. three or All right. somewhere. Well, if there it, there is one point where they have an episode where Jess goes to the West Coast to visit his dad. Yes, which was a mo- right. Which was a backdoor pilot for another. That's show. kind of yes. what this episode of the ROA on the OA is. It, this is Jess <laughs> going to the West Coast. <laughs> In hopes that it... This is the backdoor pilot. Yes, this is the backdoor pilot. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this week we are talking about the 2016 Netflix release, the OA. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the IMDb description. Uh, this thing dropped uh, in the middle of December. Is that correct, yeah, guys? Yeah, like maybe a week December 16th Christmas? is what... Yeah, December 16th. The IMDb storyline is as hmm. follows. Created and written by Britt Marling and Zal Batman Mang Mang Oh God Batmangle Batmangle right. <laughs> uh, parentheses the East I looked it the up. latest Netflix original that delves into the inexplicable reappearance of Prairie Johnson Marling, having gone missing seven years ago. The previously blind Johnson returns home. Blind Johnson, like an old blues man. <laughs> blind per- She's blind Perry Johnson. Yes, I left some of her field. I have some of her old uh, Harry Smith field recordings. They're really great. Now in her 20s yeah. and with her sight restored. While many believe she is a miracle, others worry that she could be dangerous. The tagline is, this is a dream, but you're wide awake. And boy, is that true. Seems that... Uh, <laughs> that is a pretty apt description for this show. Uh, I'm going to let out the cat right out of the bag. Uh, the three of us have discussed this episode uh, at length, just over text, and we all hate it. Hate but it. before we get hate into it, our it, hatred it, 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 it. of this I mean, show, 
Yes. We're not going to make you wait to the last 10 minutes to find out how this episode of, of the Rules of Acquisition ends. We all hated this. But before we get into our 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 uh, how much we hate this uh, particular TV show, uh, I think we should start off with a little roundtable discussion of some of the, the pluses of okay, the show. Okay, there's some. You guys... Well, I think they're... It's not totally uh, without merit. I'm, there's some. Yeah, it's... I mean, like, all of the things that you usually fault TV for. Looking bland and boring. You know, like, boring blocking, boring characters. Yeah. Bad acting. All of that kind of stuff that we grapple with sometimes on Deep Space Nine. And we everybody grapples with on television. It's not a. It's not here. Yeah, like I felt like that the the acting was was at some points exceptional. Um, specifically, uh, Jason Isaacs, who people know from the Harry Potter movies and the Patriot and other things, and then Phyllis from The Office. Phyllis Smith, I believe, is her yeah. real name. She's amazing. It's my favorite part. Yeah, she's amazing. She was also amazing. Like she's she's had a good post office career because she was great in uh, Inside Out. Oh yeah. Yes, I mean she was she was made she was the key role in Inside Out, and she's I guess a key role here, but it's hard to put terms <laughs> yeah, like that I on guess. things since there's no there's no there's no story structure to this. Well, there's uh, a- but I mean she's a memorable role, um, yeah. and it looks really pretty. They do some imaginative. It does look good. Things uh, in a very evocative visual way. Yeah, I think I think I'm. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a show that takes risks. At least you wouldn't have the show any other time. Nope. Oh no, that to be said, <laughs> this show would not have been made on most channels, and would not have been made at any other point in televised film anything in cinematic history. Also, it's got a very diverse cast. I think that there's not too many places yes. that you could st- still see. Transgender characters, uh, especially young teenage transgender characters, but also just overall, you've got many people of color, a very diverse cast. We got to see one of our favorite actresses that we never get to see in anything inexplicably show up in this. Uh, the actress <laughs> who plays Keiko, Keiko O'Brien, has got a part Keiko in this. Uh, Rosalind Ros- Chow. Yes, Rosalind Chow. And um, so, yeah, it's got a very good cast a good representation of what life is like i mean no this of what you know uh planet earth looks like in 2016 not <laughs> what you know with its diverse cast yeah yeah i think a lot of the actors do good jobs i think most of them do i have oh yeah yeah some issues with brit marling aside from every the whole show <laughs> but, yeah for our, yeah. for our star trek lovers uh board queen uh, play, uh, Alice, oh, Alice yeah. Kriege, Kriege, Kriege. Also, she was great in Deadwood. So she's, she, I put every actor that's in Deadwood in as like one of the the best actors ever. So she, she's in. Yeah, that you category. get a pass if you're on Deadwood. Yeah, yeah. She's whatever she does in life, she's a pass on. That. And then, and then, and then we've got one of our favorite. Oh, 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 shit! Riz Ahmed's in this. Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's what I was waiting for that. The yeah. Riz. Uh, yeah, one of the Riz greatest Ahmed, years. Uh, like, yeah, like this was that a weird off note to end an amazing year for Riz Ahmed. He was in probably my favorite television, well, second or third favorite television show of this year called The Night Of. And he was amazing and was the lead in that. And then he was in Rogue One. And now he's in this for no reason at all. <laughs> Sarah, uh, Sharon Van Etten, the singer, is is in this movie fine. and is fine. She's there to sing. Um, she doesn't really have to do much. 
But I mean, she's got a. I mean, she's one of the. Uh, I mean, she's yeah. one of the five. Um, she's the one that never finds a movement. Uh, yeah, the, then there's no reason for that to be distinguished. But also, there's a cast of young sort of uh, actors, undiscovered actors, much like uh, Stranger Things. And I think that's yeah, why people are comparing it to Stranger Things. Well, there's a lot of Stranger Things comparison. It's a Netflix show about a strange girl, except it's a 30 year old woman. Yeah. Um, which I have no, hey, I'm not, I'm not being ages. She's young, yeah, mid 30s. She's born in 1980s. But she's playing a 20 something. It says in the IMD description, I think she's mm-hmm. in her 20s. But hey, I don't, I'm not here to disparage, you know, yeah. any actor for it's within the realm, except like I buy it when she's biting a dog for no reason and taming it. And, but like when you're doing flashbacks 15 years ago and she still looks the same, it's, I mean, I don't want, that's not my big I issue with this. I, I'm no, not trying really to. So, um, also, uh, so there's a lot of like, so this, this cast is great. Uh, also these young actors, one of the things I was going to say is that those actors are really well cast. Um, yeah, there's, there's good for what they give time for. Um, you almost like one of the big things that I'm always going to come back to on this show is that it is, it is either structurally just, just, um, it, it's either negligent or it is criminally like, like manipulating you to care about characters that they don't give a shit about. Like the five, like these kids that she assembles. Um, we'll talk about the actual plot of it in a minute, but these kids that she assembles, like, are engaging and are interesting and are real people, unlike everything that's going on with her and her backstory. And so you want to like, I want to find out what's going on with Buck Vu's home life or French's home life. And you see snippets of it. But this show ain't about that. Uh, it's almost startlingly not about no, that. No, it's about... It, okay, it, so I think we've pretty much ran we've ran the gambit of uh, <laughs> positives for this show. Uh-huh. Uh, where do you guys... This thing was so awful on so many different levels. Oh my God. What do you guys want to unpack? What do you guys want to unpack first? What's what's the most glaring We thing? mentioned that it starts off with 57 minutes before the cold open, which in a lot of, of the people's complaints that I've seen about it are people annoyed at that. But what I like that's about mine. the show that, is that it's that that's the it's I'll willing give to that to the filmmakers. Like I'll I'll give that as the it's willing to take risks, like creative risks in the format. Like oh, we're gonna we're gonna the first the pilots fifty seven minutes before the titles and everything, and there's no yeah. titles for the rest <laughs> of the episodes until then. And you know what? I got no problem with that. That's not what angers me about the show. No, no. Yeah, like it, yeah, if you're it, bitching about that, you're bitching about the wrong stuff. That that impulse is what could have made it yeah. interesting. And, and it's and shot beautifully. It, yeah, it does feel it's, Yeah. I well, don't I, mean, I don't mind that they took fifty seven minutes for the cold open. I mind that they spent like twenty minutes or half an hour of that where the driving force behind the plot is she's looking for a Wi Fi password. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like real life. I mean, like my whole day. Yeah, yeah. That's what people tell me. Like, oh, that's a thing I struggle with. But no, you don't in this way. And if you do, I don't want to watch your fucking TV show about you trying to find the Wi-Fi at the Starbucks or whatever. Except you're a crazy person. Yeah, that didn't bother me. Yeah, that's something like that. This is probably just all told, like bird's eye view. This is probably one of the worst written shows that I can imagine. Um, it's beyond. This is the problem with it is that it's not it's not like I, I think that I mock even private, if not on the podcast a lot about 
um, this sort of save the cat sort of structure in film writing where you have to like, where everything is just sort of boring preconceived structure. I like structure. I like, you know, I like, I think that there's a inherent structure to stories. We like to know when we're in the third act or, you know, a second act, there's room for creativity, but it, it's rarefied to like break out of that sort of just the structure of stories that's been developed over, you know, 10,000 years of human history. But that's, it's, but taking risks outside of that, it's fine. I don't know what the hell this show was. This show was a mess from like every angle. I, I almost have an issue with it. Clause by clause from stated sentences. Unreliable <laughs> narrator. And you know, yeah, and well, that, campfire. But, but that doesn't come up until the last 10 minutes of the, of the, sh- the last episode. Are we going to do a spoiler alert for the whole episode? We, uh, just, we can right now. Yeah. Like let's do just a, but just in general, we'll talk about the whole structure. Again. Should people even watch the show? I'm going to say watch it, guys. I think that there's, I think that there's, if you're the kind of person that listens to podcasts about TV shows, you're, you're going to, you're going to get something out of watching this, but it's not because it's good. If you're the kind of person that has to audit your time because you have so, so little time, don't watch the show. Like, right. Don't waste eight hours. But. If you're terminally ill. And your and your life in general is going to be cut short. I you don't spend any time on this. No, no, no. In fact, just turn off our podcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just say, let's just attack the structure. Let's just cover the bullshit from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Prairie's backstory. Her real name is Nina because she's the child of a Russian oligarch. Was in criminal activities in Russia, like any person in business in Russia was after the fall or whatever, and then. Russian organized crime killed all these oligarchs' children by pushing them off a bridge, a school bus off a bridge, and they all drowned except for her. And she first has her first near-death experience meeting the Baba Yaga, except it's not the Baba Yaga. It's some dumb thing called Katoon, which never says its name, but they refer to it as Katoon and expect us to remember that. This show has a cosmology to it. Yeah. Yeah, you can keep going. And then it goes, she's gets sent to uh, America where her father is hiding her from his enemies in Russia. She's at a blind school, but then he gets killed in Russia. So they kind of, her aunt that lives in the States takes her to work, live in the brothel that she runs the Russian brothel. And that's where she gets adopted from. Yeah. And kindly old Midwestern couples, I don't think, routinely go to Russian whorehouses to buy (laughs) babies with cash. Yeah, oh, and she's blind as well. Yeah, she's blind because Baba Yaga took her eyesight so that she could come back from the dead. Yeah. So and yeah, like I get Russian people used to go to Russian orphanages to get defective white babies (laughs) (laughs) because and. Not, that's that, just and that's, I that guess, what this couple's doing is they want. To, yeah, but they don't go to the brothel in their hometown city to pick up a kid that some they adopt without a problem. And for some yeah, reason, yeah, I wonder how did Herschel from The Walking Dead even find like where do you like I can't even find a guy in St. Louis to sell me weed. Like how am I going to find like a guy to sell me a baby? <laughs> it is. It is completely that backstory is so ridiculous. It's distracting, and it almost it. when you have a backstory like that, it makes it almost impossible to think about character or care about character. Because when your character's origin is so silly, 
in a in in a drama. It's not like it's a silly origin in a serious setting. Does that yeah. make sense? No, 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 yeah. That you don't actually care. You don't actually care about the arc because you're just trying to reconcile the nonsense in front of you. Yeah, there's a. Does that make sense? No. Okay, uh, so where were we in the story again? Um. Okay. So so okay. So go back to our story. So she's flying. She lives in the brothel, but she's starting to have night terrors or these night visions that her father's trying to reach from her beyond the ether. So she has this vision that she needs to, when she turns 21, that she needs to go to the Golden Gate, or not the Golden Gate Bridge, to the, to the Statue of Liberty uh, to meet her father, who's going to meet her there. She goes to the Statue of Liberty. Her father's not there. So she bums around New York by playing violin in the subway stations, where she's met by uh, a man. Uh, she's met by Lucius Malfoy, dressed like Don Draper. Who? Okay, so he comes in and he goes, have you had an NDE? He says that. This is the first time the, of, of, of 100 times. You can tell by the way that she plays the violin that she's had a near-death experience because you become back touched by the angels. And that's a good thing. You want to be that. <laughs> like Della Reese. <laughs> but I guess uh, touched by angels. <laughs> Very funny. Um she anyway, so it's this, in the show's reality, whether in the real reality, which I think that you're supposed to use as an anchor to watch this show. But what the fuck do I know? You, she's got superpowers, but she's got super violin power. Yeah, that's that's why that's where I felt this show was dangerous. You're gonna have dumbass kids in the real world killing themselves trying to give themselves. She's got superpowers, but it's gonna be dangerous again. He sees it. He goes, takes her on on like a date, and I'm like like wows her with his obsession with near death experiences takes her back to his apartment After plane ride. and then i think that she thinks that they're going to fuck like i can't tell because she's such a fucking glazed eyed nothing but like i think she thinks they're going to fuck and then he puts her in a terrarium and locks her in a cage and like that's where she spends the majority of the this show. is another issue i had like i mean again i'm not trying to be ageist or anything like she's playing herself at 21 on the subway like and then Jason Isaac comes up and talks her up and she runs off and flies to gets on the plane with him. I've known 21 year old girls that were that naive to just walk off with a stranger and do that stuff, which is not cool. And they're like, you know, it's not, it's very dangerous. I've known people that were, I buy it. I didn't buy Britt Marling doing it because she's clearly not 21. And <laughs> it just didn't read. It didn't read as something I would buy because she carries more world weariness than than you would. Yeah, like. if if it were a naive looking twenty one year old actress, I would have bought it. But I didn't buy thirty four year old Rip Marling playing a twenty one year old and being naive enough to walk off with a stranger and get on a plane and get put in a cage. Yeah, which so, but then that's a casting thing, and it's like, and I'm not trying to say you're too old to do that. I'm just saying it didn't work. I think the fact that Britt Marling wrote this show and that she is the lead and, and to the point where even the story that it develops falls, collapses into her black hole of a story almost intentionally. Yeah. And, and it, it was all about her and how she could heal these people. But what was being held, like, I mean, I feel like if you're going to write that story, I should feel okay. the healing, right? Right. Like right. I but the, even even in the flashbacks, we don't even see how she accumulates that skill set to do the things that she did in those scenes. So, well, I mean, she's, like she wasn't. Yeah, do you, you know what I'm saying? No, no, like, no. But that, all that she just she's a Mary Sue from the beginning. Uh-oh. She is all. Oh boy, you use the MS. I word. did. I, she oh, is. Oh. And let's just admit that. Let's just admit this. This is what a Mary Sue is. 
She wrote this herself. She plays it in the show. She is nearly perfect, or maybe crazy, at the end. Who the fuck knows? She dies like fucking Jesus. She, like, she saves everybody's life. She is, she is Jesus. She is the original angel. That's what they call it. This, if you're not, she is actually the embodiment of enlightenment and divine love. Like, that is a Mary Sue if I've ever seen one. And they've never, and I think that you're supposed to think it's because she's bringing them back from the dead. Right. Oh, right? yeah. The conceit of the show is every time you die, you get better at playing violin. Usually it's artistic things because yeah. it's art, because they're concerned with art, and that's why the movements are, it's very artsy, farsy, pretentious. Yeah, you're bringing back some sort of spiritual element, but also that that's... And also they get these movements by having to swallow an animal. Have we pulled that out? <laughs> when you're in the afterlife, you're supposed to swallow, uh, find an animal and eat, swallow it whole. And oh, that will teach you... We're getting ahead of ourselves on the movements here, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and we've seen, and we've seen a couple of people do this. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And okay, so... Yeah, and the oh, fact sorry, that, we'll... like, well... Jason Isaacs can identify her. Like I was, I was on the same subway platform where Prairie was playing violin, and Jason Isaacs hears her violin, and it's so beautiful. He walks up and says, "Have you died before?" And there was, I was at the same location this past week watching someone play by violin, and I wanted to go up and ask him that, but it would have been creepy and stupid, and that's not a thing you can hear <laughs> since we're here. Uh, should we talk about how do you feel about the movements? Oh, they've been destroyed by hippie powers. They've been destroyed yes. by hippie powers. <laughs> um, yes, it is the most outrageous. Uh, it is the to most me. artistically like sort of like bankrupt. No, I don't want to say artistically bankrupt. It is the most off-putting <laughs> art, well, you know it. interpretive dancing that you've ever seen. Like whenever there's a it movie actually, and they want to show a tough guy being uncomfortable around art this is what they would be put in front of hey man you shut like the fuck up it reminded me of art that i did in my theater <laughs> <test>. <laughs> which i will defend some of the most artistically rewarding stuff i did in my whole um, no 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 and creative. I, okay, but let's but, talk about but let's talk about fancy but, pants yeah. dancing so, okay I, let me talk about terrotica a play i was in in 2004 which is all this devised theater um Grotowski, bullshit which actually i thought was great but it's kind of interpretive dance stuff which works i feel like in a theater setting and part of what the show yeah. is just like actors really committing to stuff that is stupid as hell but in a theater setting if you have people doing this kind of stuff i feel like it can work better because there's a direct communion between the performer and the audience and yeah I'm not yeah, explaining this, this well but there's almost this criminal misunderstanding of how these kind of different, like let's specifically, let's do our interpretive dancing of how, what it's like to watch that and what it's like to be in that setting where there's basically only two types of people that are going to watch these sort of high level, like this sort of very out there avant-garde interpretive dance. And that's going to be interpretive dancers. That's always a part of all weird art is that your audience is mostly other weird artists. And, uh, but the other people that are going to be interested in it are people that are engaged and having 
powerful emotional moments in a room with a performing artist. So, and I think that, that that's one of the things, like if you've never been to these sort of like, like a performance art thing where someone's screaming or putting blood on rags and then putting it over there, part of one of the things about that that's moving and powerful about that is that you're in the experience. Once you remove that by, I'm on my couch with, you know, with a beer watching this in a situation where they're also not in a performance room. They're also in real life doing this, that it stretches credulity to the point of ridiculousness, where right. it really, the only thing that I, the only emotion that I could muster, I don't care how severely interested I would be in the story, which I wasn't particularly, but I, I can't help. I mean, it is, it is, it is ridiculous. It is, it is comical. It, yeah, is, okay. it is comedy. Yeah. It's, and it's it, comedy this is, in a situation that does not call for it. Yeah, well, part of it is, to me, this whole show had its head so far up its ass. Yeah. Part of it is acting. Like, Britt Marling is the creator of the show, and she is on record. It's like, the reason she started writing was to write good, quote-unquote, good roles for herself in Hollywood. And part of what makes a good actor, as far as I'm concerned, is commitment. And even if you have a dumb role and it's it's all about setting aside your critical mind and committing to something and thinking it's the best thing ever, which is what this whole script for these eight episodes or whatever feels like. It feels like a 14 year old stoner that is thinks they're really deep. Mm -hmm. And and part of what like if you're an actor, a certain type of actor like what makes a good actor is just like setting aside your critical mind and fucking committing to something and being vulnerable. And all the actors here are committing and they're vulnerable, but there's not a critical part of it that decides whether it's good or not. They just accept that they're great and that it's very hippy dippy. If I do this thing and commit to it perfectly, it's going to be good and have a resonance for people. Yeah. Think with your heart this show and with has your a, mind or whatever bullshit. Uh, okay, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that just kind of just pisses me off about the writing, it's they're just, they're writing to what needs to happen next. The same, they're right, the same way that Jason Isaacs has a tomato allergy that nearly kills him and foils the plants. Why did he buy tomatoes, yeah. He's the one that buys the damn food. It's like so dumb. <laughs> What is it? Isn't that a thing? But she's been it? making the damn soup for hours, and he's like, "Oh wait a minute, are there tomatoes in this?" Yeah, you're the <sighs> fuck <laughs> you, writers. Think about this. Okay, <laughs> this is the... there is. I mean, I, like we could like from a line by line, everything wanted to make me blow my fucking brains out on the script. Like everything that the OA says is fucking stupid. Everything that every other character says is is like three quarters stupid. But anyway. <laughs> You've watched the but show, like, jumping ahead. Okay, so she... So now it's a race against time to find all the movements because now Jason Isaacs, because he resurrected someone from... Because they resurrected a dreadlock guy from the dead, now they all have to, like... Um, they're all a race from... Because now he knows what he's pursuing something real, and he's got to get the fifth movement to find the answers. And she's getting there. It's like a race to the fifth movement. And... They there's this reoccurring character of a cop that comes to the visit Jason Isaac sometimes who talks about his wife who's got ALS even the sheriff 
the guy who was voted into that <laughs> office by the people of that county stops and talks to the weird doctor. Not even a doctor, by the way, an, an, an anesthesiologist. He's like, no, he's like, he's like, he for all he knows, he's got a PhD in art know, history. You know, you, like, that's true, but an you? anesthesiologist can do their job uh, before uh, up until like 2014. An anesthesiologist could do their job with a master's degree. They're a nurse. They're not a doctor. But anyway, <laughs> they, that's changed. But they, they, that one, the show, not not Jason Isaac's character would have been grandfathered in. Maybe she didn't know that. Um, so, yeah. So this guy wants him to call, like, for some reason, he's looked at as like a mad genius by the town anyway, even though they don't know about the people in the basement. They want him to solve the ALS. He comes over one night for some reason. And sees all the people on the closed circuit television, holds Jason Isaac hostage. Jason Isaac's like, these people can solve your wife's ALS. They they do. And then the, the woman with ALS comes back and tells them the fifth movement, which is like pointing at their eyeballs while covering up their, it's whatever. Um, then Jason Isaacs comes and shoots everybody but the, the, the hostages. And then... Um, right. Sends Brent Marling away, tells her to get the fuck out of his house, I don't know, and on the side of the road, in St. Louis. So she jumps off the Stan Musial Bridge, and, or, or the Eads Bridge, I don't know. But, uh, but that's the thing, is that we don't understand the rules of this universe, and the characters don't understand the rules of the universe. Early in the, episode, early in the series, we're led to understand that maybe she's psychic, and that's why she has all this mm-hmm. insight. She bites a dog, you know. And, oh my god, she bites a yeah, dog but, and it's calm. So, like, I totally forgot about that. But, but you know what? That skill set never shows up in her captivity. Like, there's no reason for these yeah, things to happen. Right. I mean, I guess she's being touched by the cartoon or what's her name, product, the Bagbiaga. Yeah, Bagbiaga yeah but that's that's a hell that's a hell of a leap. So, okay, so there's that. So now that she's got to find five people to perform the five movements to go back and create a rift through. Oh, by the way. Somehow the sound that's emitted while you die is the actual sound, recorded sounds of the rings of Saturn by the Voyager probe. Fuck that. And then anyway, so she's got to help that to create a rift in the universe to go save her boyfriend, Homer. Yeah, my God, this show is so pretentious. This show is the definition of the word pretentious, which is a word that gets misused sometimes by I don't understand it, so it's pretentious. This show is fucking pretentious. Like all this sort of numerology, spiritual bullshit. I get where they're going from and from, and it's pretentious. Uh, another thing about the parent thing, before I get back into like her complete story, the the parent thing is that one of the things that was shocked me is in, later on in the thing, Steve, who's a bully and is a, a like a violent asshole, uh, is finally sent to military school by his parents, which has been living under the threat of. They send him to military school. Phyllis Smith, who's now like he's a member of the five and she's a member of the five and they need them to perform the five movements. So she goes out of her way to do this elaborate bullshit to like get him back. And then eventually she pays the people that came to get him to take him to the academy. She pays them $50,000 to give him to her. And they take it and, you know, I don't know if they take it to the, to the, to the, to the coin machine. I don't know. Like they take it to the boats. Yeah. They take it to the boats and they live high off the hog for $50,000. But the next day, like the kid is back in town and he goes to the school. I assume he's going home. Like what the fuck happened? Like his parents sent him, made the decision to send him to military school. That should have been the end of it. Like I don't, 
did they just uh, he came back and they were like well i guess that didn't take go back up to your bedroom like what happened there it did it <laughs> like yeah. like oh. that was a big gaping plot hole Yes, because it, because yeah, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make sense, <laughs> like the ending. I don't know. Hey, we've been dancing around the clit here. Let's get to it. <laughs> the kids go to the kids go to their their cafeteria. She she has a dream. She wakes up. She gets permission from her father to leave the house, and she's running down the the one street in her town. The kids are in the cafeteria being normal. They broke. They're not sitting together anymore. They're sitting with their cliques, and Phyllis is about to leave. And she's packing up her box. And then... Um, we have a school shooting. She's, there's an active shooter A very situation. visceral, very the, realistic... In the corner of the screen, a guy comes in. You don't see his face. And he's got like an M16. And he starts shooting up. And he goes into the cafeteria. And he starts, you know, holding, you know, holding hostage there. Phyllis sees what's happening. And has a chance to leave. Runs back. And in this awesome moment, oh, man. set piece, all of the five people look at each other and they all go, are we doing this? And they all <laughs> look at it and they this. go, we're doing this. We're doing it. Let's roll. And so they all get out from, <laughs> they all get out from under their tables and perform a Lady Gaga routine. Oh, I lost my shit. <laughs> in front of an active shooter <laughs> oh, my who doesn't kill them. And not okay so now it doesn't open up the portal to saturn or what the fuck ever it oh wait 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 he gets tackled yeah. by by the guy he gets tackled by a lunch guy chris the, maloney yes that's exactly what i was gonna say yes I'm gonna chris go fondle my sweater. wet hot american summer yes <laughs> so yeah so it was just that this shit the five lumens were only put in their life to br- to briefly distract an active shooter for a moment and it is today in this country. We live in a place where this shit happens all of the fucking time, and it is disquieting. It is, it is not a funny thing. And then to see it put in a situation, in all of its height and glory, and made like from a film language perspective, made flawlessly how it was shot and put together, the pacing, the, the all the fucking mezzo scene and the. First shot, reverse shot, all that shit was perfect to, of a heightened emotional movie. To see five people get up and do the most ludicrous thing, my brain, my body, my entire psyche didn't know how to handle. And it, and it, well, it, it, they're trying to manipulate you. They jumped to like the most manipulative, one of the yes. most manipulative things you could do to an American in 2016 mm-hmm. slash 17. Yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons why, we, even though we hated what we were watching, had such a strong visceral reaction. And I, I knew in the moment that it was like, it was almost morally wrong to be yeah. putting this in your stupid TV yes. show because they, because they hadn't <laughs> earned it because they were only doing it for a shock value. Yeah. It was awful. And then she gets shot and she dies and, does she enter another dimension? Who knows? Does what? Oh, don't worry. Okay, we're done. That's the end of the show. But but what does it mean? What's it about? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it doesn't matter what the actual rules are. The The creators of the show don't actually care. No, the, sh- the show starts wrapping. They care about their bullshit yeah. philosophy. That's what I want to get to now. Now we've yeah, got through the, the, dumb the plot, plot yeah. stuff. The dumb plot, the awful acting, the bad dialogue. And the stuff that doesn't make sense. All that aside, at the core of this show, 
the show has a central belief that there is no gray area in life. There is good and there is evil. And the people uh, okay. who believe in such a gray area are actually people that are capable of great evil. Oh, Jason Isaacs. Yeah. So if this is a, a story about a crazy person. So, okay, so let's talk about this. The philosophy, the bullshit philosophy. I think you're totally right. I think that it does have that philosophy. And anybody knows that's, that's listened to our Deep Space Nine stuff knows that I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of gray areas. <laughs> Um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ardent defender of the Viet Cong, I'm a huge uh, as, a, as a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of gray areas, and it not only like I, and in fact, if we're going to talk philosophy here, and let, we can, I don't know how interesting this is, but I, I actually consider myself like like to be something of a hedonist. <laughs> I'm a married man of 27, 60 years. I have a monogamous, boring ass relationship. I have two kids. I'm raising in a boring fucking way. I'm a normal person. But hedonism is this concept that life is uh, the pursuit of pleasure, but the pursuit of pleasure with a regard to an avoidance of pain. And so this sort of like you have to balance like her heroin could make me really happy. I could be a lot of pleasure. But like you look at heroin addicts, they don't look like they're pleasurable. <laughs> they don't look like they're living a pleasurable life. So you have to like, well, let maybe not do that. So you curb out this sort of idea, which allow, which everything then becomes a cost-benefit analysis of what you can afford in life. I want to buy happiness, but can I afford it? And and that not just in money, but like in everything. I want to, you know, I, I, I want to live with my wife because she, she grounds me and she gives me all of this comfort and, and all of this happiness. That means that I have to clean the kitchen. You know, like, that means that I can't fuck other people. Like, so I have to make these sacrifices just like that I want a Bluetooth headset. I have to make the sacrifice of paying for it. Like, it's the same way with that. And so it's hedonism, but it's not, like, dirty hedonism. So it's just an idea that this is how you're going to go through life. I'm going to try and maximize the amount of pleasure I can get out of my time on this earth. And that means not spending my time in rehab or prison. Or like alone, you know, <laughs> or watching season two of the OA. Or watching season two of the OA. So that you know, so you you make those decisions, and that's the way I view my life. That is not the viewpoint of Britt Marling or anyone on the show. What is their viewpoint? Um, they it comes from this deeply small s spiritual mind view. I think that you feel that it comes from an actual religious point of view, right, Hugh? No. Okay. And that almost makes it worse. Yes, it does. And I agree with you. I agree with you then. Okay. <laughs> I feel like if you if we had a if we were having right. beers with Britt Marling and Zal Mac Batman Lege, uh, we could talk them out of any point they wanted to make. Like I feel like that it's not only that it's spiritual, but it's wishy washy too. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. Like it's right. The, it's yes. the, the idea that I mean, at least it, Christian. I mean, it's the women at the holistic, uh, not holistic, at the homeopathic living conference like that that sort of it's i i don't know but i assume that probably Britt marlin considers herself a homeopath a believer of homeopathy homeopathy <laughs> okay but there is sort of a that sort of dumb sort of worldview that permeates the show and i think that that's fine i mean there's shows for all sorts of people but it's weird to watch a show that espouses that kind of stuff so poorly 
with such a high caliber of like production level. That's sort of what's shocking to me. Yeah. Is that dumb shit, dumb shit shows have been made forever. Like, I don't, you know, like, I'm sure this kind of shit has been made before. And like, art houses and shit. But like, never has it been made. I mean, that sweeping, like, aerial shot of like the oligarchs' houses at the beginning of the, when they roll the cold open, that was mesmerizing to me. It was so well shot. It looked like Roger Deakins shot this show. Like, it is beautiful. Jason Isaacs is fucking amazing in this show. Just his performance, the tone, the pitch, nothing's off. He doesn't play it like a comical villain. He He's the most like believable man. thing about this whole thing. Yeah, he is a human being, which is... And Phyllis is so... I mean, I mean, she's got, like, a place, and I mean, like, there's one of those things where she has a cultural shorthand. I don't know. So many people. I know we've all watched The Office. Like, I, you know, that have a cultural shorthand because she's such a... You know, everybody on that show is, is a character on that show. It doesn't come and go like they're in every episode. And so you, I've felt like I've spent so much time with that person, that actress in playing a similar role, a very similar role. Plus inside out last year, which I had a pretty powerful like re response to. And, you know, so she's just someone who doesn't have to do much to get my emotional like attachment in a show. But she she goes out. Oh oh my god! She goes all out. She had to learn those fucking movements. She did those movements. She had worked for hours. I bet days, weeks, getting those. Like god damn it! She should win a medal. My thing is that I was watching with my wife, and when the movements oh, happened, god. there we had to have a real conversation as to whether or not we were going to like <laughs> go forward because we felt like we had been pushed and tested so much during this show, and so yeah. I. I I, your wife is this this glorious no bullshit lady, but I like, and I and I'd have liked to have watched her watch that. I don't know, like I think that I, I, I don't know that, that that I would have liked to have watched her watch that because well, it is it is such a bullshit pretentious thing. Yeah, she's got no she's, no time for that. Yes, yeah, in her yes. in yeah in her life. So. I yeah. So we have a voicemail for my wife that we could play at the end of the episode. She yes, she yeah, called yeah. in and she wanted to share her her thoughts. Um, the oh wait, do we want to play this voicemail? Oh, my wife's voicemail. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, from your wife. Yes. Yeah. Go for it. You gonna do this? Right. Yeah. Sure. For the record, I'd like to start off by saying that when I found out that there was going to be a special edition podcast dedicated to the OA. I was like, I should totally be on this because my husband is, and he only watched it because I started it and stopped about 20 minutes into the first episode to wait for him because at that point, I thought it was something he would like. But he tells me no, and he gives me a number and says I can leave a voicemail, which is neat and cool, so here it is. The first 20 minutes of the <laughs> OA were the best part. I hated it so much. And I'm going to try to tell you really quickly why before this voicemail times out. First of all, OA, narcissist. Let's say she was actually an angel. I'm sure she wasn't the original, the first. Get over yourself. I hate you. Also, how did she know Hap killed his mentor? He didn't tell her that part. She told the group. <laughs> Stupid. I hate all five movements with the fire of a thousand suns. I hate him all that hissing and how much they got into it. They were so into it. Fuck you, movements. 
also, why did French morph into Homer in the mirror that one time? And they never explained that at all. And I also hate Homer. I hate that they did the whole school shooting scenario at all. But I would say that any shooter anywhere for any reason would probably stop dead in their tracks if a bunch of crazies stood up and started doing those movements. There's no power in movements. He was just wigged out that there's somebody crazier than him there. I like half the supposed bad guy kidnapper probably more than just about anybody in the show, except for BBA. And I mostly love her because the whole, I got to go, I'm eating a sandwich is the best line in the whole show. <laughs> it really was. It's the worst. I hope they don't make any more. And if they do, I hope I don't waste more hours of my life watching it because I can't bring myself to look away. I hate it. He's out. <laughs> yeah. So my wife really wanted to be on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's real cold, Hugh. That's cool. Well, I mean, it, it, listen, we don't. I logistically, I don't even know how we would make that work. You know, with <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. And with four people on at the same time, it would be kind of tough to get a word in edgewise. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you want to be on the podcast, you could be on it. You just everybody, you know, just call the voicemail. That's that's the best way to do it. Uh, um, yeah, my wife really, really, really hated this show, and she's got no tolerance for narrative <laughs> bullshit. She likes her stories to be like clear and concise. Um, right. Well, I get, I got the whole hap telling the story thing, which when I was watching the show was infuriating to me too. Like, how does she know this stuff? Because she wasn't there for it. And then that's y'all seem to buy the premise that some of it is true more than I do. It's like, yeah, she's an unreliable narrator. That's what the big reveal at the end of the thing is. It's all, I guess, it's I, guess, all I don't understand why. I, guess, I, I don't know what the story that's, is. That's the ex- I don't know what this, what I've been watching. If she's an, that's the excuse narrator. for it. Yeah. It's usual suspects is the whole no, show. It's a sci-fi fantasy yeah, but, show is what but, it is. Then they're going to walk it back in second season and say, usual, well, maybe it's right, not in the second suspects, season, but, but that's how this suspects. ends. Usual Suspects isn't a story told about like seven guys that did that didn't exist. Right. There's no story. There's like she's. A, I think she's a little oh. bit crazy, even if she is somewhat uh. magical. Is I don't. Yeah, think because she, like my wife said, she calls herself right. the original angel. If if she's just yeah, somebody who died so and got powers, it doesn't make you an angel. So yeah, you're probably well. That's the other problem with this show. They don't understand anything about there's it's like it's hippie bullshit like some crackhead that my sister-in-law used to live above saying oh angels god has a cat's eye i was shot in the back oh i smoke crack you know that yeah we know you smoke crack courtney you can call in and tell that story a lot better if you want to or maybe i shouldn't have mentioned it but whatever but it's like people people are into angels it's like i mean nerd corner biblical angels weren't people that died and came back Mm-hmm. Uh, Mormons are a little bit, but that's a whole other thing. It's 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 hippie bullshit. Like, oh, I want to believe in angels, but I'm a spiritual, not a religious person. That's what this show is. Sure, and I, and I think that probably that's more popular in America than you think. There's whole oh, it's very popular in America that, that aren't that don't necessarily believe in what they teach at church, but they like you know you know they like uh they like stupid bullshit shows that make them think they're smart. Angels. <laughs> like spirituality and mindfulness, but yeah, no, I totally. But there is, I, I guess, what's frustrating to me is that it's not like what I'm saying about the second act is that it's not like 
it is just it is zero stru- there is zero structure there's no act structure the structure is it's a story it's a the cold open is all leading to her telling a story and it's a campfire story of her telling the story to five people but the whole thing is she's making it up the whole time or or is she okay so the whole point is to teach them how to do something that will momentarily distract a school shooter yeah no while someone else topples no, the, that is yeah. like that is the plot if you like your whole thing is that a woman came to came <laughs> and got these five people to listen to a bullshit oh story in order to empower them to momentarily distract a school shooter yeah that's how dumb the show is. No, I, like, I think the show, but, this oh, show is oh, dumb. But, but maybe, but, and maybe she did enter another dimension because she got shot and died. And maybe, maybe that's what it no, was all about. This is about. just about faith and doubt. Thing. And that's what this is about. That's totally what it's no, about. No, I mean, and I think but it's about. I, no, I, I, I hate I, that I, we're arguing about it because we're giving the show credence by arguing. Yeah, Zal Manglish likes that we're arguing. We've got so many but perspectives he, on no, his work. But all of our perspectives, is this is bullshit that doesn't work. Correct. That's, that, that's yes. the perspective. I mean, the. Sh- See, here's my thing is that I think that your interpretation, Wade, makes it less awful because it makes it a work of an idiot. And my problem with it is that <laughs> how I does that make that it less awful? Because I think because that's like Ed Wood. Yeah, I'm saying that I think this is like Michael Camino. Yes, band, that's my right? whole Where point. Where some guy, some artist with capabilities, takes a, a long reign and just shits himself, like rubs it all on him and calls it art. You're saying that like they're these are just people that don't know how to shape something. They have a shape, but not like a good these one. are just these are yeah, people. They're, they're doing it as they go along, and they stumbled into this no, thing. No, but almost like they, that they're they, not. They think they're taking chances. They're they're not in any way trained in storytelling or structure. <laughs> and I and I'm saying that I think that they. That's not what I'm saying. These are people that saying, know that saying, and are taking that and pushing it to an a ridiculous level. And and I think that like I, I agree with in that. In your mind, they're, they're more dilettante. They're more dilettantes than yeah, they're totally than performing dilettantes. bad art. And I think that they're consciously making bad art that I should be angry at. I, I think they're dilettantes making bad art that we should be angry at. Yeah, that's no. But I mean, no one's angry at Ed Wood. They have more technical skills than Ed Wood. No one gets no one gets mad at Plan Nine from Outer Space. It, this is diff- yeah. There's more art to this than Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's still like stoner bullshit. I don't know. It is stoner bullshit, uh, but it's also but like QVC it, spirituality. Like, buy you can buy these yeah. this these porcelain angels, and you know because they're real. Uh, it's it's Oprah style spirituality that you'll get in certain things. It, it, my dad is often irritated. My dad is a my dad is a it's religious man. Uh, he's a heavily religious man, but he's irritated by these shows like The Shack and. Stuff like that that have these vague, these they're spiritual without being religious. The secret, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You remember the secret craze? Yeah, from a few years ago. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like I think it's of that kind of spirituality where if you just believe, this world will open up to you. But I, yeah. I just I, I it's like I, what is truth, man? It, it it saved a kid, so maybe there was worth in it. That's what this is about to me. But it doesn't matter if it's true or not. That's I think that's what their whole. If you ask them a bit if it were true or not. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so we Brett know Marling that she was born the, in a. She was. We know that she was in a Russian brothel. 
yeah, so let's yeah, just take I mean, one but, string but of this. It's not like an all or nothing. It's like, well, some of it might be true, some of it might be not, and that's up to the viewer. But really, really, closing thoughts. Should this have been made at all? What do we want this show's legacy to be? Should it have one? Why are we fucking doing a podcast about it? It doesn't, I mean, like, it doesn't work at all. But, like, I'm glad that it got made. <laughs> yeah, if this got made, maybe there's hope it, for us yet. Yes, and I'm glad that it got made because the next kid who's got a <laughs> stupid-ass, goofy idea that really does, like, fucking floor me with its brilliance will also get made. You know, like, it bothers me that, right. like, because Catwoman, the movie Catwoman sucked, we didn't get, like, a Black Widow movie. That that kind of shit bothers me. And and I don't want, like, this to suck so that then, so that if some artist that I, like, respect wants to make some sort of profoundly weird thing that can't be really summed up in an elevator to, an exec, to a Hollywood executive, <laughs> like, they get a chance to. But this is fucking... <laughs> I hope yeah. lessons are learned. I, Unintelligent. Yeah, I, I hope lessons are learned. I just hope it's not learned by the executives of Netflix. I just like that's what I, I hope. But if I ever had to meet Brett Brett Marling in public, I would say, "Man, you were really brave <laughs> in making this show." Very interesting. <laughs> that's the that's joke. my bullshit <laughs> phrase. I, I mean, yeah, I could be a super sincere, from the heart dumbass. <laughs> Hire me. All right. Well. Okay. Uh, yeah, we we need to wrap it up. This is uh this has been the ROA on the OA. Uh thankfully uh, next week we'll be back talking about a show we actually like. Uh if you if you have any thoughts about the OA, please give us a shoot us an email or give us a call and what's that number again, Wade? Oh, it's 917-408-3898. And with that, uh we'll see you next week. Are we going to end this with uh, three three to go to the rings of Saturn? <laughs> In the rings of Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. Three. Th- yeah. This is three movements out. Uh, we'll see you next week on the on the rules of acquisition. Slappy chest, snake face, cover face with the number two. 